hi everyone and welcome to our latest episode of Zoology Ramblings with Emma and Rovi. So this is episode 7. So this week we are going to talk about orca in Scotland. Exciting. Um, yeah, so orca are remarkable um, cetaceans. They're incredibly intelligent and there's been quite a lot of um, documentaries recently They've had orcas in. I don't know if you've been watching, Roby. It's um, one called Stormborn. I um, haven't. I haven't seen that one. Very, very good. And they had one last night about a pod of orca that were hunting off the coast of Shetland. Ooh. Um, which was really, really good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, how we're going to do this is sort of just, I think we'll start with an overview of orca, a little bit about them, um, and then go through kind of the different types of orca um, that we get. Um and then later on, we'll go into some of the threats and kind of issues that they're facing, because I think the plight of the orca is quite extreme. Yes. Um, and especially rather sadly in the UK, our orcas are have well, have been having a bit of a rough time of it for the last 50 years. So disclaimer, this is going to be quite a hard hitting episode of the podcast. There isn't that much good news. Um, there is a bit at the end. Uh, but yes, this might be quite quite an intense episode because the orcas are not having a good time of it. I think it's good to be aware, though, like we were saying, there with local UK topics, mm, like it, mm. it's maybe something that people don't realise that our, our orcas are in trouble. So mm. I think it's good to know. And how many people it. even realise that we had orcas in the UK? I did not until I started re- re- uh, researching this episode and I, I caught an article on the BBC. Uh, I didn't realise we had orcas here. Yeah, I, do, I don't think... Well, because obviously they're quite rare now in the UK and there's only a couple of pods. So it's, yeah, ha- rare that someone will have seen them. And mm. so, yeah, maybe that bit of a disconnect with orcas. But just to go a little bit, like a bit of overview about them. <laughs> so orcas are toothed whales um, that belong to the oceanic dolphin family Delphinidae. Um, and so this is a family that emerged about 11 million years ago um, and the orca lineage um, probably diverged shortly after that. So they're quite a, an old species. Their lineage dates back quite mm. far into, into evolutionary history. And interestingly, it's the only recognised species in its genus. Um, so... The orca does have um, morphological similarities to things like the false killer whale, pilot whales, pygmy killer whales, and its closest closest relatives are the snub fin dolphins, which I'm really curious what they look like. They're like not... really cool, cool small dolphins with, you know, stubby fins. <laughs> Sorry, snubby fins. Uh, but yeah, we're not really sure. If, I mean, most of the time, most people tend to think that the relatives, close relatives are the snubfin dolphins, but there are other opinions, which made it quite hard when researching this podcast, because no one quite agrees. So they, they're close, more closely related to dolphins than they are whales, even though they're called killer whales. Yes. So the whales, the cetaceans are dolphins and whales, which are split into two groups. The mysticetes, which are all the all the big whales with the baleen plates, which fill to feed. And then the odontocetes. And the odontocetes. The ones, right? Yeah, the ones with teeth. And they're split into, hang on, I'm going to get this right. One, two, three. Three lineages, the odontocetes. You've got the beaked whales, which are a whole weird thing all on their own. And we do not have time for them today. Uh, you've got the 
oceanic dolphins, delphinidae, so all the other dolphins you know of, and then orcas. Uh, and then you've got the sperm whale group, Physeratoidea, big sperm whales, little sperm whales. And then, oh, sorry, four. You've also got the river dolphin group. So, okay, yeah. yeah. They're, they're all whales. Techni- like, all dolphins are technically whales, but not all whales are dolphins. Look, they're all cetaceans. Dolphin and whales <laughs> yeah, are we're really just, confusing. Yeah, we'll just lump them into cetaceans. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So with that, like what, um, I know there's several different kind of types of orca. Do you want to kind of explain that a little bit? No, because it's really confusing. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. No, I will. It's okay. Um, orca, partly as a result of being both incredibly intelligent and incredibly adaptable, can be divided into lots of different types. Um, and so the two main areas that these types have been studied are off the west coast of Canada and the US and off the coast of Antarctica. And so off the coast of Canada and the US, there have been three distinct groups which have been identified. And these groups are differentiated both by what they look like, their coloration, uh, and also by their diet, what they eat, and also by their kind of language, the dialects they use to talk to each other. So the three groups are, number one, the residents, Residents live in the... The name is fairly self-explanatory. They they, they like a nice home area. They stay in one place relatively. And their diet consists... Is that year-round? Yeah. That they'd kind of stay... Yeah, okay. And their diet consists of fish and squid. And they've got a very complex and cohesive family life. Uh, The second group are the transients. Uh, Their diet consists of marine mammals. So they will not eat fish. And residents will not eat marine mammals. So they segregate by diet. Uh, they have that's phenomenal it is incredible yeah but that's not the only difference they also live in smaller family groups and potentially because they're hunting prey with very advanced auditory uh, senses they don't vocalize as much and they obviously roam very widely and then uh, the third group uh, off the west coast of the u.s is the offshore group and no one's quite we don't know quite so much about them we think they eat schooling fish and maybe mammals and sharks um they're genetically distinct from the other two uh and yeah no one's quite sure what's going on with the offshore lot so that's off the coast of america where you've got resident offshore and transient i just i find that incredible that they can differ so much in sort of their dialect their 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 diet their behaviors and it's basically just a result of where they are and how they live which is incredible yeah and then off antarctica you've got four more types You've got type A, which feeds mainly on minke whales. Type B, which is smaller and feels mainly on sea seals. Sorry, not seeds, seals. <laughs> type C, which is the smallest, but lives in larger groups than the other types and feeds only on Antarctic cod. And then type D, which is a new kind of type, which not really many people understand. And so then when you add in mitochondrial DNA sequencing to the mix, we're even more confused because some... My, my brain is blown right now. <laughs> so some mitochondrial DNA supports the theory that types B and C are recently diverged separate species, whereas another study suggests that the pairs of A and B and C and D are different species, whereas another study recommends that the North Pacific transients should be a whole new thing. Um... So I think a better way to talk about orca, just because we don't know whether these are different species or different subspecies, is to think of them as ecotypes. And if you're, an ecotype is a distinct um, grouping of a species defined as distinct by its ecology. 
And in this I instance, think we've that's something that we've touched on quite a lot at university, which yeah. I didn't I hadn't heard the term before mm. university, but it really does explain kind of different diets and behaviors sort of, sort of based on their behavior, which mm. I think is more useful than species and subspecies sometimes. Yeah. And and if, if we look at it through the eco ecotype lens, you do get seven distinct groupings which can be boiled down into four potential candidates for specieses. So you've got the Antarctic minke eaters, the Northeast Atlantic, the Northeast Pacific residents, and the Northeast Pacific offshore could all be one species. And then the Antarctic seal and penguin eating, the Antarctic fish eating, and the Northeast Pacific transients could all be individual species. So basically, orcas are hella complicated, and they do loads and loads of different things. <laughs> that is, oh, that's incredible how many different types they are, regardless of whether they're species, subspecies, just... That variety is yeah. incredible. I think the overwhelming um, message to take away is there's seven distinct ecotypes, and we don't know if they're species or something. Just there's seven types of orca, okay? That's all you okay. need to know. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess just to, I mean, obviously this is probably lumping them all together when they are quite distinct, but we'll go through a little bit about kind of their size, communication, dietary, biology, things like that, which kind of applies to yeah. a lot of the different groupings. Um, so orcas, if you've seen them on natural history programs, they're quite big. They're, they're really huge, <laughs> huge um, whales. So they are the largest members of Delphinidae. So if you think of other dolphins, they are significantly larger than that. Um, so the males can be around six to eight metres long um, and weigh in excess of six tons. It's a big boy. It's a big, it chunky is. whale. <laughs> and so the females are slightly smaller, five to seven metres long, and weigh around three to four tons. So part of the reason they can be heavier is... So we were just... Well, in a previous podcast, we were talking about bison, and that on land, you're more constrained as to how heavy you can be. But obviously, if you're in the water, there's that support of, of water, which means they can be this, that much heavier. Um, and one really interesting thing I always like is that, you know, we do demonise sharks in our culture, in our society. Um, and we tend to think of sharks as the apex predators of the ocean. But the average average orca is about a third again as large as the average great white. So... I always like to think of the orca as the, the, you know, the top dog in the ocean. And there really isn't anything that they are apex predators. They don't, they're not predated upon by any other species. Um, and their dietary biology is fascinating. I think it's incredible. Yeah, no, it really is. And they're just remarkably intelligent. They're really, really sophisticated, um, have amazing sort of communication systems. Like you were mentioning, there's different dialects between pods. Like you can, they can tell which pod is which using sort of sound acoustic data and they can go, oh, that's pod A, whatever it is, based <laughs> Without on Without ever the seeing them, yeah. Yeah, which oh, is phenomenal. Um, but going sort of back to their, their dietary biology. So they tend to hunt quite shallow, actually. Um, so often when they hunt seals, they'll kind of go into bays and go in really quite shallow where you'd expect whales to kind of stay out deep. Um, and very varied as well what they feed off of like Roby was mentioning like <laughs> the different types kind of very very varied but they've been documented to feed on over 30 species of fish um, which is quite extensive yeah it's a lot of fish um, it's a lot, of, a fish. lot of fish you know I respect and, them for it 
<laughs> obviously this depends where you are in the world mm. because in different seas you get different abundance of different things so off Norway and Greenland they will specialise in sort of herring because you have these mass sort of autumnal migrations of herring um, and so the way they feed there is what's called carousel feeding so they'll trap with bubbles so they use kind of these walls of bubbles and then slap their tails um which i don't is there footage of that i there don't is, know yeah on the most there recent is. was it planet earth no blue planet 2 or planet earth 2 one of the most recent big atomra series there was there was footage of this and it was it was it was cunning it was so cunning you could pin a tail on it and call it a fox except it's an orca <laughs> so i thought it was really fantastic yeah I mean, it just, that just shows how complex it is. And also mm. it's often group hunting as well. So often they even get the youngest calves involved as well because it's a, a family unit and they all kind of hunt together. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of that would obviously be somewhere like Norway and Greenland. But then when you go somewhere like New Zealand, then they start to eat things like sharks and rays um they'll even take on things like great whites tiger sharks um basking sharks so like you were saying we think of sharks as the apex predators but i think orca are oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent. and in new zealand there's been some really interesting studies showing how important sharks are as a food source to orcas so they will take marine mammals in new zealand as well but in in, again, New Ze- how many times can I say New Zealand in one sentence? In New Zealand, they are rather specialised towards um, shark hunting. Uh, yeah, which I think is is crazy. Mm. And I think, hasn't there been a, a dietary shift as well? Kind of in terms of, there may have been a shift since the beginning of the industrial whaling era. Yeah, that's been an interesting, interesting point that quite a few orca researchers have, have been looking into now. So they hypothesised that the great whales used to used to be a much more important part of orca's diets before we started hunting all the whales. And that um, after this hunting, they have actually shifted to, uh, to prefer other species of marine mammals in greater quantities, such as seals, sea lions, fur seals, walrus, and that sort of thing. So they are really adaptable in terms of what they eat, and they show a lot of flexibility um, and it's yeah it's interesting we don't understand yet fully the interaction between orca and great whales before we started meddling um there is quite a nice theory that predation on whale calves in high productivity high latitude areas like the poles may be the reason that a lot of the great whale species actually migrate to these kind of cooler and less rich tropical waters to give birth so you see you know the gray whale migration across mexico and, and california might is thought to be because of there are less killer whales there no that's that's really interesting i guess like we've talked about before as well that idea of pr- predator presence can have a massive impact on their prey species mm. so that ecology of fear aspect could be something that's happening in the water as well mm. um but so if we touched on this a little bit, but just going into how complex they actually are as kind of their social structures, it's remarkable. I would say kind of only great apes and elephants could rival the complexity of their social structures. And I would argue sometimes orca social structures are much more kind of in tune and kind of working together than humans are. And, and um, quite a lot more harmonious, <laughs> I would think, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd agree because... So 
orca pods are um matrilineal i think that's the right word yeah um so the idea is that the all the orcas will live with the mo- with their mothers their entire lives so these pods are led by the oldest female known as the matriarch um and so the matriarch's sons daughters and their descendants um will all live with this this matriarch um and these are highly stable um sort of group social groupings um and long um long lasting as well i mean they can live what is it right like as old as 90 females can get to 90 yeah and the really interesting thing is that even though this kind of matriarchal social structure quite resembles elephants you know in in some regards there's a there's an interesting difference because with elephants the males all eventually leave whereas with um orca both the males and female offspring stay with the mother so you've got this really tight-knit family and then occasionally the boys will 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 swim off and mate with females who they they they're not related to but then they'll still come back to mum at the end of it and so you've got these lovely kind of really stable and tight um uh social aggregations um and uh, that was proved by dna testing actually they proved they by by getting samples of lots of different unrelated or unrelated theoretically orcas they could prove that actually the females would stay with their mum, the, ba- the males would stay with their mum, but the males would periodically go and kind of flirt with other girls who they haven't met before, and but then still come back, which I thought was, I thought was quite I a think nice... That's, that's brilliant, mm. because I was literally just going to ask that, like, how does that avoid this genetic bottleneck if they're just living in, in close-knit groups? Mm. They but... will almost never mate within their own pod. I mean, that just... Animals have that anyway, but that level of kind of... I wouldn't. I'm not sure if it's intelligence per se or just instinct, but like to know that they have to keep their gene pool varied. Mm, mm. Um, I find that really interesting that they all, they always they always come back. And in fact, if you remember that point, because we will talk about that later on in this in this podcast, because that's quite an important point when we come to talk about our own UK orcas. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. And... <laughs> <laughs> Teaser. <laughs> so I guess. To talk about, they are here in the UK, but they're distributed elsewhere. Roby, do you want to kind of explain where else they're kind of everywhere. found? <laughs> Literally everywhere. They are a cosmopolitan, they're what's called a cosmopolitan species, like the peregrine falcon and the rat and the cat. They they live in all the oceans of the world. Um, and because of this enormous range, their numbers and density relative distribution are really hard to estimate. Um, we know that they prefer the higher latitudes closer to the poles and we know they prefer coastal areas, but they do pop up in tropical environments. Um, so when we think about the range of the orcas, it's actually probably best to think about where they're really well studied. And so these are places like Iceland, Norway, the Valdez Peninsula in Argentina, New Zealand and the west coast of the USA. Um, and the highest densities we think are Alaska and Antarctica, so fitting with this kind of general preferring the colder regions, probably because of more, more you know, richer oceans. Um, so general population estimates are around... Oh, hang on, no, I've got to do the maths now because I've written out by ocean. Hang on. The general population estimate across the world's oceans is about 37,000, but we're really not sure. Um because they're so patchy and because some groups obviously move and some groups stay in the same place. Um, But that's probably quite a nice segue into the orcas in the UK. 
So we have two main groups in the UK and they are called the West Coast Community and the Northern Isles Community. So are these um, resident ones, are these kind of what you'd consider transient that come and go? So the West Coast Community are North Atlantic Type 1, which means they are marine mammal eaters. Okay. Whereas the the Northern Isles community are North Atlantic Type 2, which are mainly fish eaters. So already the two communities we have in the UK are isolated from each other and they don't talk to each other and they don't feed on the same things. So the Northern Isles community live off um, Orkney, Shetland and the north coast of Scotland, whereas the uh, west coast community live in the Hebrides and all the mull and sky and they come into the Irish Sea and they pop up off Ireland occasionally. Um, so yeah, those are the kind of the locals, as it were. And the west coast community are under a massive threat at the moment um and it's thought that they will go extinct in the next 10 years really yes yeah. that's, that's not long at all not at all what, so what, what is it that's that's threatening that well that group? again they're getting hit by a double whammy uh so they haven't had a calf in over 20 years which and we think that all all eight members so there's only eight of them now all eight members are post-reproductive. So the females have gone through menopause. Um, orcas are one of the few other mammals to go through menopause. And the males are all old as well. Um, and a clue to their plight was where in 2016 when one of the females, Lulu, was found dead, uh, washed in up, up on a, a beach in, I think, Tyree, the island of Tyree. Um, and she had been killed by entanglement in commercial fishing gear. But... Analysis of her blubber showed that she was the most polluted animal when it comes to PCBs ever recorded. And the West Coast community are the most polluted community of orca in the world. That's that's shocking. Yeah. So so what are PCBs? PCBs are, I'm going to read it out so I don't muck the, up the pronunciation. They are polychlorinated biphenyls PCB. Let's just go with PCBs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... What they are, are they're a kind of industrial, it's almost a, a paint chemical actually, used in industrial sealant and paints. And it obviously gets washed into the oceans as a result of dumping and runoff. And it has massive impacts on immune, uh, reproductive and endocrine systems and also increases the risk of cancer. Uh, I think they're just, I mean, we've seen this time and time again with animals where you've got human chemicals that aren't supposed to be in systems like we had with DDT, mm. with, with the vultures. birds of prey. Yeah. yeah. And the idea that with orca being apex predators, there is that risk that they are at the top of food chains. So what's going to happen is they're going to be the worst hit because uh, like pollutants accumulate up food chains. Yeah. And orcas and, and whales in general, not only because they're at this really high trophic level, also they store the PCBs in their blubber. And when food is scarce, the orcas metabolise the blubber. Uh, and so they, re they kind of reabsorb all these PCBs, in, into, PCBs into, into their bloodstream. Um, Would that go on to the calves as well? Absolutely. Because the, the milk is, needs to be fatty yeah. to be able to support, um, sort of in cold waters and things like that, support the calf. It, it, so. Entirely. And so even though we, are, we have banned PCBs in the 1980s, because they're so long-lived... And because the PCBs can be transmitted both fetally in the womb, 
and in lactation from mother to calf, orcas are just these reservoirs of PCB. Um, and so the West Coast community is now one of the most polluted orca communities in the world. There's only eight of them and they're all post-breeding. So it looks like they are doomed to extinction, which is very, very sad. Um, but I guess that's the hard thing if they're that long lived as well. Mm. It's like it's not something that could be removed from the population mm. sort of in their lifetimes. Because if they do, if they were to have any more calves, which they can't, then the PCBs are likely to affect the calves as well. So it's it's a difficult one with, with orca. And it's even more difficult for these West Coast orcas. Um, you might think, well, why don't more orcas come and populate the West Coast of Scotland? Or why don't they mate with the Northern Isles community? Well, orcas never mate outside of their community, not only because they don't understand each other because they've got these unique dialects, uh, but also because their ecology isn't the same. The Northern Isles community are fish eaters and the West Coast lot are, are marine mammal eaters. But the other, the second of the two whammies that they're getting hit with was revealed when we looked at Lulu, the, the stranded orca's genetics. And that told a fascinating story because it appears that this West Coast community who live off Scotland are actually most closely related to Antarctic type A killer whales, which is really odd. So at some point, the Antarctic ancestors of the West Coast community came all the way up and swam all the way up to Scotland. And so now they're both isolated by geographical location. And they're also isolated from any other, you know, viable reproductive partners up there. Um, so no I guess that's the, going back to that term that we've used before. Um, I mean, I don't want to use it on orcas because hopefully it won't be the case, <laughs> but the idea of kind of like an extinction vortex mm. that if they are so isolated from from other populations and from reproducing and in captivity as well it's very hard i would say to kind of build up a pod in captivity that they, that could then be released mm. i feel like that would be incredibly challenging i think only two orca have ever been released back into the wild um but this does raise an intriguing question now are these orcas go going to go extinct solely as a result of pcbs or are we observing a natural process of population flux where, you know, at some stage, the Antarctic, there were reach carrying capacity for orcas. Some of them migrated north and they hang out in Scotland for a while and now they're naturally declining. And, you know, populations do do this. They do have these fluctuating cycles. Um, it, it certainly looks like when we look at the, the differences in ecotypes of orcas, that orcas are undergoing a process of adaptive radiation into new ecological niches. So even if they're not new species now, maybe they're on the way to be. So it does raise the question with these West Coast orcas, is this a natural process we're observing? This is an isolated think, community, which is, which is you know, on, on the ropes. That, I think that's a really interesting question. And I don't know if it's one that we could fully answer mm. because I don't think... Things like chemicals, like PCBs and things like that, I think so little is understood about them. It's hard to know whether they have not been producing young as a result of their age. Is it the PCBs? Mm. Like, I think it's so interlinked that it's hard to know if it's entirely natural or not. And I think because we don't know that, we have to be quite cautious when we respond to crises like this. Um, I don't think that there's anything that can be done to save these West Coast orcas 
But at the same time, while PCB levels remain this high, I don't think we can willingly repopulate that part of Scotland with Antarctic orcas when Antarctic orcas have some of the lowest PCB levels. That would just be dooming these animals to quite an unpleasant illness. Um, yeah. And in fact, there was a fantastic article which came out in 2018 by Deforge et al., which we will again link, called Predicting Global Killer Whale Population Collapse from PCB Pollution. Uh, catchy title. Um, <laughs> so what this paper did is it basically looked at all the killer whales around the world and looked at their PCP burden. So they compiled data on the PCB blubber concentrations and compared this, you know, and modelled how that would affect their reproductive and immune systems. And then they incorporated known data on orca fecundity and survival. And then they simulated the PCB accumulation and loss through blubber. And then they could model how, over the next hundred years, all the killer whales in the world would be affected by PCBs. Um, wow. It was that really cool. like a really, yeah. really impressive study. It was an, it was they can model. Read. I think models are vitally useful mm. for things that we maybe don't fully understand, but we can, you, we can predict with models. Mm. Um, and they could, they, could, they could break up these orca populations into different classifications. So the least exposed populations, like the Alaskan residents, the Antarctic type seas, the Canadian Northwest residents, and the Eastern tropical Pacifics, would roughly accumulate one milligram per kilogram of lipid weight of PCBs per year. This would result in a population decrease of between 8.8 to 15.4% over the next 100 years. But despite that, the model still predicts a net doubling of their population size over the next 100 years. So at least these lot of killer whales are still going to increase in the next 100 years. Okay, that, that's, yeah. that's positive. The... It does make you maybe, like you were saying about the natural kind of decline of the, mm. what is it, the West Coast? West Coast um, community, yeah. Yeah makes you realise that maybe if, if they can't predict their populations mm. increasing, that role of, yeah, is are they naturally just declining? Yeah. And medium exposed populations, like the Alaskan offshore population, the Faroe Islands, Iceland, which would accumulate, you know, a bit more PCBs, they would have a population reduction of between 20 and 40% over the next 100 years. But again, still a modest net increase. But it's the two last categories, the high exposed populations and the critically high exposed populations that get hit hard. So the high exposed are the Alaskan transients and the Canadian southern residents, accumulating 83 milligrams of PCBs per year with a decline population. That's a huge increase yeah. from the other ones. With a population de decline of around 54% over the next 100 years. And our lot, the West Coast community, fit into the critically high exposed category along with Greenland, Canary Islands, Hawaii, Japan, Brazil, Northeast Pacific, and Strait of Gibraltar and UK. And of these, the Japanese, Brazilian, Gibraltar and UK populations are expected to completely collapse within the next 100 years. That is quite sad for the UK populations. Yeah. Um, I feel like we haven't had the chance to fully understand them um, and kind of monitor them enough and they're already facing yeah. <laughs> extinction which is quite sad and it's quite sad that we actually are unable to pinpoint whether it is solely pcbs or a result of natural population flux that's doing this um before we end this orca podcast which can, could be quite sad i suppose i mean it is quite sad there is a little tiny bit of good news in that in 2019 a mystery pod of orcas was encountered by the hebridean whale and dolphin trust <gasps> 
in British waters. So possibility of another pod there. Yeah, there. Yeah, and you know who knows? Maybe they're going to resettle after after the West Coast community die out. Maybe they're just they're transient. Um, it's thought that they consist of two large males and two juveniles at the moment. Probably a, a smaller part of a larger offshore community that we don't know about. So. There are more whales in the Atlantic. So even if the West Coast residents go, it is possible we will see repopulation of Scotland, Scotland's waters with orca. So that's a bit of good news to end this podcast. No, I think that, that is quite quite positive yeah. because obviously that's quite hard hitting when you hear about kind of especially the high exposed and critically mm. high exposed. It's like, what can we then do? The damage has kind of been caused mm. when you've got that accumulation of PCB. Mm. Um, but there's hope. That's good. There's hope for other pods taking the place of ones that may go extinct yes so yeah we hope you enjoyed this episode sorry if it is a bit hard hitting but we think it's really important to be aware of you know the conservation issues happening in the uk at the moment um and this is absolutely a really a big issue in in british waters so yeah thanks for listening and we will see you next time bye